Welcome to Putting the Real in Real Estate with Dave Nimick, the podcast where we work with real estate enthusiasts to share the unfiltered truth and the reality of real estate. Now our host, Dave. So thanks for tuning in to Putting the Real in Real Estate. This is Dave Nimick, and I have a special guest with me today, Kurt Kessler from Guaranteed Rate Affinity. Now, Kurt is a residential real estate lender who looks through the lens of an advisor. Buying and owning real estate should be looked at as part of your financial portfolio, not a painful transaction you go through just a few times in your life. Boy, if I had a nickel for every time I heard Kurt say that. Nonetheless, with the belief that the time to buy is when it's right for you, not when others say it's a buyer's market, Kurt works to ensure the mortgage product you use is right for your personal situation and story. So... Kurt, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So another thing that I know that you've said before is there are several ways for buyers to qualify for a loan, and you're very good at kind of finding that. And certainly one thing that we talk about quite a bit is where buying versus renting, which won't necessarily be a focus of this show, but certainly if people have more questions about that, you'd be a great person to talk to because the interest rate on rent is... Always 100%. Exactly. So nonetheless, I appreciate you coming uh, and joining the show. Uh, Now, you've been doing this for 20 years. That's quite some time. That's pretty impressive. So why don't you tell us how you got to this point in your career? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, like a lot of people in our business, both on the lending side and the real estate realtor side, I didn't go to college thinking I was going to be a mortgage guy. I actually went to school for hospitality and spent 10 years managing hotels and restaurants before a friend said, um, noticed that I was getting a little ornery and just ready for a new challenge Sure. and said, you know, my, I've just started this mortgage company, don't have any idea how it's going to go, but you're welcome to come play with us. And so I did that in uh, 2002 and have never really looked back. So weathered the storm of the financial crisis in 2006 to 2008. Right. And over the years, I've worked in uh, not just the residential piece of the business, but also commercial and lending for investment properties like bars and restaurants and apartment buildings, gas stations, and also in the construction world. But the last... uh, yeah, yeah, that's, last, that's quite a quite a cross section there. The last seven years, I've been really focused on residential lending, one unit to four unit properties. Gotcha. Yeah. Plus, with being in hospitality, obviously that would speak well for client service. Obviously, because in hospitality, that's front and center, right? So that is very helpful. And it's always good to hear when people in real estate industries have that kind of background because they just kind of get how to serve clients, right? Absolutely. Yep. (laughs) Right. So what we'll be going through is some different things that obviously you have an expertise in as far as lending. So my first question, have you seen any changes in the mortgage business this year? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Right. Uh, you know, if you've seen the news in the last six months, you know that interest rates have changed quite a bit and are on the rise. Right. No, I mean, they've, it is certainly like I've been doing this 22 years and you're in your 20th year. And 
they definitely have changed. There's still, I think the average interest rate overall in the history of interest rates is closer to 8%. So we're still Correct. like, we went from exceptionally phenomenally awesome to pretty good. Right now, interest rates are swimming around six, six and a quarter yep, exactly. percent. And uh, those are a lot higher than they were, but they're still lower than they have been. And certainly at other times, you know, but they're lower than the overall average. So, but nonetheless, they've jumped up really substantially in six to nine months, no doubt. And the, so, the hard part is that, you know, the first time home buyer these days has never seen anything but rates below 5%. And it's just uh, us discussing with them and educating them on what it really means to their pocketbook. Right. Which also goes to client service too, right? Where you're helping people understand because it's not their fault that they don't understand or they haven't seen this type of market before, right? Where it's usually buyers are just thinking about right now, like until they're actually looking at buying a home, it's just kind of background noise. But when it becomes important, it's really important. So it's great to have a lender who's going to really sit down and educate you on what to expect, right? So with those many changes that are happening in real estate and the changes in interest rates and the market as a whole, honestly, kind of coming back to earth, there are three different things that you and I have talked about that kind of rise in popularity when these things are changing, right? And so we'll go through them in order, but I want to ask you about three different things. The so first one being the seller buy down strategy, okay? So first, can you say what it is and why it might actually be utilized? This is probably the most popular thing that's happening right now, the easiest to understand. What happens is, you know, in rising interest rate environments, in order to get a lower interest rate, the buyer has the opportunity to pay points, a percentage, one or 2% of the loan amount in order to reduce the interest rate. Now, the strategy is that we ask the seller who may be worried about their house not selling because rates are going up, we ask them to participate and offer to give the buyer a credit towards that dollar figure. So who pays for it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's the buyer or the seller. That is correct. But in this market, with everyone being on edge, uh, we often see the seller offering to do this instead of reducing their purchase price or their sell price. Right. Okay. And in general, now again, it's, I'm sure different loans have different amounts, but like if you're buying down, if you're putting spending 1% of the loan price or the purchase price to buy it down, how much does that usually buy down the loan? It would buy down the interest rate about a half a percent. So 2% would get you a full 1% reduction in the rate. Gotcha. So in theory, if the rates were 6% and either the buyer or the seller put down 2% of the purchase price, that generally would buy down the rate to 5%. In exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So as far as the benefit, obviously, it's a lower interest rate for the buyer, no doubt. Is there, are there any benefits financial? Obviously, it's just kind of like the seller is still spending money. You know, it's, it is a variance of reducing their price, but they're just kind of spending money to buy down the loan. Are there any other benefits that a seller can receive from doing the buy down? I mean, that 
the ultimate benefit is they're selling their property probably quicker at a higher price than if they had to go ahead and do price reduction. Because to get, you know, as you can attest, to get a set of buyers to relook at a property after a price has been reduced, it's got to be a pretty substantial amount, five or 10% from what I understand. And if we just have to offer 2%, right. um, then the seller is going to have a higher selling price. Right. And do you know, and I don't know this answer, but is there, are there any tax benefits for a seller to doing the buy down? No, not to the seller. Okay. All right. So for the buyer, if the buyer was to buy down the rate, that would be part of their closing costs and they could potentially write that off. Gotcha. Okay. And is there any limit to how much the loan can be bought down? Let's just say the buyer is leveraging the kind of more buyer-friendly market and they want the seller to pay down like two full or three full percentage points, which can get into some pretty substantial amount of money. Is there a limit legally to what's allowed for either buyer or seller to do? There's a points and fees test on every loan and it varies a little bit by state. But when we get beyond 2%, it gets pretty dicey unless we've got a pretty high dollar amount that we're working with. You know, if it's a $300,000 loan, the total cost of fees, even though there's a credit, is going to get the federal government might say, ah, that's a high cost loan. We don't like that. Gotcha. Okay. And so this might tie in with the credit. Does this count towards what a buyer's closing costs would be? Mm-hmm. It does. Yes. Okay. So it just reduces the closing costs that they might otherwise have to bring to closing. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Any other information that would be helpful for the listeners regarding the seller buy-downs? I think that's the meat of the discussion. Okay. For that. Great. So the next one is what's called a 2-1 buy-down mortgage. So can you go into some detail about what that is and why it might be used? Sure. It's a little trickier, involves quite a bit more math. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I was told there's going to be no math in this. (laughs) What it is, is it's, so if today's rate is 6%, this assumption would be that If we locked at 6% for the first year, the interest rate is actually going to be 4%. And then the second year, it would be 5%. And then the third year of the loan, it would be the standard 6%. Now, the math comes in, who pays for this? And in this scenario, it can never be the buyer. Oh, okay. Uh, It has to be, in general... This is most used by builders. Who okay, are so builders to, where they're, it's a changing market and, and it's gone from a strong seller's market to they want to offer incentives to get people buying homes. Exactly. A seller can pay for this, but the way it works is the cost is the difference between the 6% and the 4% for that first year, and then the 6% and the 5% for the second year. So, you know, on a, a half a million dollar loan, it's going to be at 6%, somewhere around $12,000 that the, the uh, seller would have to cough up 
in cash money at the closing. Now that's, I mean, it's going to come out of their the equity that they're going to get from selling the property. I hope. Right. Right. Now, is this also considered a credit towards the buyer? Same thing as what we were just talking about, where there are limits to how much it can be? No, because it's not a, a buyer's cost. Gotcha. So it can be, it's not tied with the same issues that that was. And it's just the seller pays for that. And the two one, obviously in the name, two points, you know, buying off two points in the first year, one point in the second year. And then everything is as normal for the going rate in the third year through the 30th year, right? Exactly. Yep. So it's the same 360-month mortgage, 30-year mortgage. Correct. Gotcha. So there are certainly short-term benefits to the buyer, and it can't be paid by the buyer. Are there any long-term concerns that buyers have, or there's no real downside for buyers? You know, the downside would be, and we don't see this so much anymore, the downside would be if the buyer is assuming that, you know, they're going to get a pay raise or something three years from now, and they'll be able to afford that mortgage better, you know, if, if they lose their job or they get, don't get that raise, that could be a problem. So obviously, there are some benefits to the buyer who it sounds like can't pay for this type of thing. Are there any concerns that buyers have down the road? Is there any real downside for buyers on this? So the only concern would be if they are, you know, thinking about the future when they do this and, oh, three years from now, I'll have, you know, more money. I'll be have, I'm getting a raise in a year or a promotion. And if that doesn't happen, now what? Now, the good thing is that we make the assumption that that's not going to happen we underwrite the loan based on their current income. Right. So we know Which they is can good, fiscally, right. financially responsible. Right. Unlike what may have happened in 06, 07, that we're much more stringent these days. Now, one last kind of positive spin on this type of mortgage is it can be a way to have an adjustable rate mortgage in reverse mm. uh, where you know, if you're only going to be in the house for a few years, you have that lower payment first, second year. And then if something happens and you end up staying in the house, your rate's not going up any higher where it might be with that, you know, five or seven year arm. Well, that actually brings up a good question. So can this only be done on the 30 year fixed, like fixed mortgages, or can this type of loan also be done on an adjustable rate mortgage? investor specific, there are some programs out there that allow this for an adjustable as well, but it's usually a 10-year adjustable. Okay. All right. So longer term, boy, that's <laughs> rate would be changing by the year. Yeah. That's right. uh, interesting stuff. Okay. All right. And moving on to the, uh, the third topic that we'd like to address are assumable mortgages. First off, can you explain what assumable mortgages are? So the basis is that I own a home, I need to sell my home, but maybe rates are substantially higher now. And the buyer of the home is going to take over my mortgage. They're going to assume the payments. So if you've owned it 13 years and you have 17 years left on your mortgage, right? Then it's just, they're assuming that 17 years left on the mortgage with your current rate. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. And 
are all loans able to be assumed? No, again, this is something that's uh, specific by each investor. And by investor, what do you mean by an investor? Is that just the banks in general or what does that mean, the term investor in this situation? So in the general world of mortgages, what we call conforming loans, that would be right now any loan under $647,000 roughly. Right. What I'm typically talking about is the rules set forth by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And for the most part, those mortgages are assumable, but we have to underwrite the person that's going to assume the loan and make sure they can actually afford it. Right. So it's kind of thinking like a landlord. It's like someone coming in to take over someone else's lease. Yes, it's legally allowed to be done, but they still need to qualify exactly the same way the original tenant did, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. You know, where we see these most is after an adjustment period in an arm loan. So if you have a five-year fixed, so the mortgage is fixed for the first five years, and then it jumps after that fifth year, now, for whatever reason, the person can't afford it and needs to get out maybe quickly, right. um, that would be a way to, to sell their home and, and get out. Gotcha. Okay. And it does. So the next question I had was about a buyer's credit worthiness but they need to qualify like that's stated if they're trying to go through this process, the bank who holds the note, right? Just goes through the same exact process as if they're underwriting a new loan for the existing one. Run their credit, check their income, make sure they have a few months of reserves in the bank. So, but would you say it's any more or less stringent than a regular underwriting process or it's pretty much the same? Well, it's same. The interesting thing is, where does the difference come from, right? If you're buying a house that's for sale for $500,000 and there's an underlying mortgage of three hundred, dollars I'm going to assume that $300,000, but that means I've got to bring $200,000 to the closing table. Right, right. Okay. Now, as far as different types of loans, because obviously there's all sorts of different types of mortgage loans, right? Are there... Some primary ones that tend to focus on being assumable or easier to assume, let's say. I mean, honestly, where we see assumable mortgages the most is in the jumbo space, higher dollars where it might make more sense for all parties and where the difference is going to make. Uh, and then jumbo, jumbo space, just for listeners, what uh, higher dollar volume, but where, like, you know, what size loan are you speaking of? So the break today is 600, so literally $647,250. So if the loan was 647,251, it would be jumbo. And next year, which we're already actually starting to use this number, it's going to be $715,000. All right, for conventional loan. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So that's interesting because that $715,000 maximum loan amount means you can buy a house for 800,000 and put 5% down whereas you know last year you would have had to put 10% down for that right no it's it's definitely and in recent years and obviously values have gone up so it's you know in part due to that but this used to be in the 500,000s the 400,000s and then it's going up next year it'll be in the 700,000s yep and it's gone up in larger 
increments in the last few years, you know, at kind of as inflation has gone up, this number has gone up. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Any other information uh, as far as assumable mortgages that uh, listeners should know? Sometimes there is a fee by the bank to the person that's assuming the loan and underwriting fee. Okay. So there's obviously costs involved. And this is where talking to an expert like yourself, where it's, you know, digging into, you know, peeling the layers back on the onion to find out exactly what uh, all the costs would be is, is important. Absolutely. Uh, as it always is with any loan, really. So a couple questions. And thank you for going through this, because these are three kind of nuanced things that you don't necessarily see when the interest rates, as they have been in the recent past couple of years, have been so low. You don't see much of this at all. But as interest rates start to rise, this is where it becomes a little more, I wouldn't say commonplace, right? Like these aren't common, but they become more used than they were in the, before that, right? So in general, as far as I know you've been doing this 20 years, what would you say is kind of the craziest thing that you've ever seen in helping people with mortgages? Are there any funny stories that you have as far as just kind of in helping people get loans? <laughs> Yeah, we always laugh, like, don't, we always tell our clients, don't go buy a car, don't go buy a boat. And the don't go buy a boat thing happens more often than you would imagine (laughs) when you're dealing with a client buying a lake house or a second home or something. Right. A couple summers ago, I had a, a client who was buying a house up in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and the closing got delayed by a few hours. And so the buyer, my client, went down to the boat store during the closing, and I got a call from the boat store saying, you know, is it okay yet? Is it time? Right. Uh, And I'm like, no, I did not pick up this phone call. Cannot understand what's happening. Uh, (laughs) Oh, wow. It's funny because that, I've had that happen, not necessarily with the boat, but I've, you know, in counseling people. We just say, don't, and I, I joke as far as a boat, like if you're going to buy a boat, buy it the day after you close, not <laughs> right. the day before. You know what I mean? Where it's, it's your choice. But I did have a client who was a couple who were very nice. And we told them, you know, just don't make any major purchases. Don't make any changes, pay your bills on time, all the, the kind of standard stuff. Unfortunately, they were very excited. It was their first purchase. And they went and financed like this $12,000 bedroom Right, set. right, and that totally that, threw off their their ratios, their debt to income ratios, which then bumped their interest rate by three eighths of a point, which raised the overall costs of them, you know, on the loan. And that is just something that was kind of a a lesson lesson learned. But yes, <laughs> and that's that's the more common scenario is somebody goes out and buys furniture for a house, bef- you know, before closing and doesn't realize it their credit's right. going to be run or whatever it might be. Right. And then, you know, there's the stories of a guy losing his job the morning of closing or a couple splitting up, you name it. I've heard it. Right. Well, and banks, isn't it correct that most banks, like your credit's being checked and your employment's being verified while you're at the closing, like yep. mm-hmm. at the closing, you're signing papers, that's happening, right? Exactly. Right. Which is again, fiscally responsible for the banks that are loaning the money. But it's important <laughs> important for listeners to know that it's being checked until the very minute 
that you are approved. Absolutely. So if anyone wants to speak with you, what's the best way for them to contact you, Kurt? I think the quickest way for an immediate connection is a text message at uh, 312-404-2878 or an email to uh, ckessler, K-E-S-S-L-E-R, at grarate.com. So it's G-R-A. G-R-A-R-A-T-E dot com. Perfect. And that all that information will be in the show notes. Also, being a diehard Seinfeld fan, did you know that in the first episode, Kramer's name was actually Kessler? I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. Well, now you do. (laughs) It is a permanent tie with you and Seinfeld. So... In closing, is there anything else that listeners should know about these types of loans? Just be careful. Talk to you know an advisor, a lender that uh, you are comfortable with and trust. Exactly. And I couldn't have said it better myself where whether it's a, a lender, a realtor, anyone involved in the real estate space, you want to work by referral. You want to talk to friends who have used somebody and feel really good that they'll put their name behind the mortgage lender, the realtor, anyone that you're speaking with, where then you have an endorsement from someone that you trust. So, Kurt, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening to Putting the Real in Real Estate. Thank you for listening to Putting the Real in Real Estate with Dave Nimick. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss an episode. You can find our guest contact information and real estate resources in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode of Putting the Real in Real Estate.